So um, we want you guys to know kind of some of the things that the awakening does. Travis and I get like a great opportunity to be able to meet some needs around our community. And they often come in kind of spontaneous. And we just, um, we have an advisory council that we work with. But a lot of times it's like, you know, it's an easy yes. And so what Katie does at Cedar Shoals is often an easy yes for us. Um, but it's y'all that make it happen. So we want you guys to know kind of where your money goes and the things we do with it. And so we wanted Katie to share this morning about an opportunity that you guys gave into at Cedar. Hey, everybody. I'm Katie Johnson. I've been a teacher at Cedar Shoals for seven years. Who are the teachers in the room? I would just want y'all to raise your hand real quick. Actually, my friend Mr. Lee is here today. He teaches at Cedar with me. Round of applause for Mr. Lee. When he walked in today, I was like, well, that's a God thing. And he didn't even know I was talking about Cedar Shoals. So it's really cool that he's here. Um, so I just want to let y'all know that this church is a great place for teachers. Um, Merle and Diane are here today. They were educators for how many years? 36 years, and Travis was a substitute teacher, and Jessica Gay was an elementary school teacher, so they, Travis always says, teachers face daily rejection all day long, <laughs> so you really have to know who you are because you get rejected a lot. Can I get an amen, Mr. Lee? You have a lesson, or sometimes you're just walking down the hallway, and you get all sorts of rejection, so um, when people ask me why I come to church here, I come to church here because teachers are incredibly supported here, um, par partly because of Travis and Jessica's background. They know. So um, through, uh, 2016, actually, I was burnt out from teaching. I had been teaching three years at that point. If you don't know, the national average is five years for teachers. So it is a, it's hard out there. Um, so at 2016, I was actually done teaching. You can read the news, what was going on on the east side at Cedar Shoals at the time, and it was tough. And the Lord told me at that time, Katie, you're pouring into hundreds of kids, and I only poured into 12. He's like, you need to pick 12. And so I actually got a little emotional when I saw that picture because this is, well, there's not 12 in that picture because we cropped it, but there were 12 that I picked and um, really started pouring into. So the Lord just told me to pour into these kids and that they would pour into the rest. So I created a mentor program in 2016, um, and it was awesome because Travis was like, just let, let us know what you need. And actually, one of the boys in, those pic in that picture right there on the left, um, he came to me one day and said, I don't have shoes to try out for uh, football this year, and my shoes are three years old. And so I, that was the beginning of what we call the Good Good Father Fund at Cedar because I just texted Travis and I said, hey, this kid needs shoes. What can we do? And he's like, just ask the church. So... When we were downtown, actually, I brought this story to the awakening, and we bought that boy four pairs of shoes and had, I think, hundreds of leftover dollars. So that was the beginning of what we call the Good Good Father Fund at Cedar Shoals. So um, now we're in the fourth year of this mentor program, and I um, actually, this group of kids just graduated Cedar Shoals, um, and, but now we have 64 mentors, and those 64 all pour into one or two freshmen some of which Mr. Lee teaches. And um, so we now have over 104 freshmen who are mentored. Um, so what's really cool about this is um, the, the students are the ones who are doing the pouring in, and that means I'm not burnt out anymore. So I always say I daily put myself out of a job because they're doing all the work. So anyway, my kids, actually Roro, the kid with the shoes, came to me and was like, Ms. Johnson, this mentoring thing's really awkward. We need to have like a way to meet them in the beginning of the year. Because usually what we do is we tutor freshmen so we go in and we start like teaching about English essays or algebra. And all my kids are like, hey, Ms. Johnson, we really need like a beginning of the year kickoff event. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so this year I texted Travis and Jessica and I was like, hey, good, good father fun. I need some money. <laughs> I need to throw a kickoff party this year. So we threw um, basically Travis and Jessica. I was like, maybe like 100 bucks. Like we could order some pizza or something. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. And Travis is like, hey, I prayed about it. And there's $800 in your Venmo account. And, um, you know, really go big this year. Bless these kids. So what was really cool is we took over 100 kids across the street <laughs> from Cedar Shoals to Cali and Tito's. And it was just, we called it Cedar Shoals Bid Day. Um, it was awesome. It was one of the coolest things ever because a lot of these kids had never eaten out. And we had, what we did was we took about 500 of the dollars and ordered tacos and fries. 
and wings. And then the other $300, we brought the freshman daily planners because Mr. Lee, once again, can tell you these freshmen, they don't write down their homework. And so it really helps these freshmen to have a way to organize uh, what they need to do in life. So anyway, we had this big kickoff party. They met their mentors. And this is the first year ever. I mean, it's taken four years that I feel like mentoring is going so well. Every Thursday, we mentor these kids. And for the first time ever, I have about 10 kids a week show up that I have to turn away. I mean, it has exploded. It's almost like this event just planted like the seed and it made it not feel like, oh, I'm, I'm being tutored because I'm dumb or slow or failing classes for the first time ever. It's like such an honor for these kids to be mentored. And it just felt like such a special event for them um, that this was kind of like a launching pad for the year in which literally every week I have to send out teachers to email, like emails to teachers like we cannot take any more mentees. Like, please stop sending freshmen down. We're at our capacity. Um, so it just really honored them in a way that was really, really cool. And so I want to thank you guys for sewing into the program. And all the people who text and encourage teachers, it's one of the best things you can do. Laura Polium emails me like once a week, prayers and encouragement. And so if you want to just bless somebody and bless the kingdom, get around teachers, send them text messages of encouragement, and just really pour into them because it's one of the best ways that you can impact the next generation. So thank you so much, Awakening. Yeah, this is, I love stuff like this because part of what God has commissioned us as a church to is uh, Isaiah 62.10, which says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up a highway, remove the stones, and raise up a standard of the people, a standard's a flag. It's also a play on words of raising up a standard, and I feel like, you know, God's uh, using Katie and, and others at Cedar Shoals to help do that, we're calling these kids up. It's like, listen, God's, you're created in the image of God. And so there's like so much more for you. And it just takes somebody willing to get in the dirt, like Katie and the teachers at Cedar Shoals. And, uh, and, and really, that's when you're in education, you're getting in the dirt, you're on the front lines. And that's just the way it is. And, uh, I, you know, we've, like she said, I come from a family of educators. Jessica taught elementary school. I substitute taught, and I did teach high school one year, and I had um, behavior disorder kids who are also learning disorder because it kind of uh, works together. And um, and you just realize I had one kid that was um, when I was teaching school. He was he always slept in my class, and I was like, "Why are you? Why can't you stay awake?" And he's like, and he was living with a stripper, and so because his parents had kicked him out and then another kid had to drive his dad home from the bar every every night at 3 a.m that's why he slept you know and so at this point they, they wouldn't want to I had him for study group and so I was like what's really going to change these kids lives like doing their homework or me speaking identity into them more so and I tried to get them to do their their homework but they're just like oh, they didn't want to do it so um there's only so much you can do uh, in that situation, and so as the year went on I, with these kids, it, it became more about speaking into who they are. But it's it's a it's a tough road to hoe sometimes, and they do need your encouragement. So thank you for sharing, Katie. Uh, Wade, where are you at? Wade's gonna Wade um, come up, share your testimony, man. This is Wade Walker. Uh, his dad decided to give him the perfect country artist name, and. Um, but we love Wade. He's teach, Wade's te is student teaching in middle school right now, too, so. Yeah, um, I am. I'm going, I'm like, school has always been something that, is that better, sorry, that I kind of hated, so I decided to go right back into it as soon as I graduate college. Um, but yeah, I know it looks like I'm like teaching, but I'm not. I'm just going to share some. Uh, I told Travis also that I can sing and play guitar in front of people all day long, but like speaking's a whole nother beast um, and kind of just sharing words without getting to kind of be behind a guitar. But uh, yeah, to kind of just briefly give um, my testimony, uh, the first thing I wanted to say is that like, and I know everybody that gives their testimony would probably say the same thing, is that I really feel like my testimony is just getting started, kind of. Um, 
and that so I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of like up until now and kind of where I'm at now. Um, but yes, yeah, so kind of going back to growing up in Perry, Georgia, I um, kind of always believed in God. Um, and I think I heard maybe Brittany talk about that in her testimony that, that she never had a moment where she was like, I'm a Christian. And like, I always believed in God, but like then kind of Jesus came after me, like later on down the line, I'll get to that. Um, but yeah, and I think it, it came a lot from having parents who were believers and who loved me. And so it was never an issue for me believing that the Lord loved me. I think that, you know, it's super sad for me to see, um, you know, kids who don't feel loved by their parents. It makes it really hard for them to feel loved by the Lord. But that was, I was super blessed um, to have that. But, and a big thing for me right now is sometimes I feel like I don't love him. You know, it's like I never have had a problem with feeling the Lord's love. But uh, that's kind of something that I guess where I'm at now is, uh, you know, do I really love him? And checking each aspect of my life of like, is this showing that I love you, Lord? Um, but yeah, so I always kind of believed in God, would, you know, pray as a child, um, like stuff like for the Braves to win and like every night and stuff. But, but like, I, like it was so real to me. It was like, oh, I've got to pray that the Braves will win, like the Lord will make it happen, you know what I mean, type of thing, which, you know, maybe that's not that silly. But um, yeah, and then eventually, you know, Jesus kind of got me through, through like middle school years, you know, I think it was a lot of me just trying to be good and like knowing that there was some sort of moral compass in the world and God wanted me to be good and striving to be good and it just didn't work. Like it just, you know, is still just completely empty trying to be good. And that's what like sometimes it's so hard to talk to non-believers and they're just like, well, I just think you just need to be a good person, you know, to get into heaven. And it's like, dude, if you sin once, like you're not good. Like, I, you know, and that's hard. Like, that's hard to deal with. But so I wasn't good. And I'm going along and then I get to high school and everybody's kind of telling me, you know, what success looks like and how to be successful. And, you know, start looking at colleges and like, these are the successful colleges. You need to do this. These are the successful jobs. And, you know, growing up in my family, there was a lot of expectation of like, you know, be this kind of person, make this kind of money this is who you need to be. Um, and I got like a lot of anger from that in high school because I just didn't want to do any of that junk. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it like, it was so cool is that the Lord used that anger and like me wanting to rebel for his good, which I think is so cool that he was able to use that. Um, and I'll tell you kind of how, it was just like not buying in to what the world thinks success is. Um, and I remember being like, a, I think it was like in between my junior and senior year of high school was when the Lord really started to pull me his way um, and Jesus really started to be like, dude, it's me or like it's nothing else. And I remember telling one of my friends at my high school, like senior year, and I still am working through this. I don't even know. I'm not doing this yet, and I don't really know what this looks like, but telling him, like, dude, I think I just have to sell out for him. <laughs> and I, I didn't even know, like, what that meant, what it looked like. I still really am trying to figure that out. But it was just like the Lord wanted me to sell out for him and not buy into, hey, this is how you fit Jesus into your life. So I get to college, um, and I'm kind of, like, at this stage where I'm like, Lord, I'm about to be kind of, like, off by myself now. Like, this is so cool. And I was still, like, and I'm not to, like, you know, there's amazing campus ministries. And, but I was running into a lot of, like, hey, like, you know, here's how you fit the Lord into your life. When really what I was realizing is that I was begging for somebody to come along and be like, dude, you actually need to just throw your life away for Jesus. And, like, once again, I'm still working through that and still <laughs> trying to figure out what that looks like. And I know that sounds kind of weird, like, throw your life away, but I feel like over the past few years, that's really what the Lord has, is calling me to, is just to literally throw it all away for him, and throw away the success of the world, and what it wants me to be, and, you know, who it wants me to be, 
and just go after him. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of me and where I'm at now is still trying to kind of figure that out and what that really looks like. Um, and, you know, like coming to college and kind of like being at this weird in-between of like, you know, trying kind of the downtown scene out and realizing ah, this is kind of lame and like going to like Bible study and like, you know, it was kind of like, I was just wanting more. I wanted deeper. And, and I guess I say that to say like, we don't need to shy away from the full thing, you know, like Jesus is enough. And a lot of times we don't like, we undersell that I feel like, you know, and we have to pump it up with other stuff, but like the Lord is enough and his word is enough and it's so good. Um, and kind of the verse that my life I feel like is at right now and has been for like a few, a couple years is First uh, Philippians 1, 21. I'm going to start at 20, but it says, according to my earnest ex- expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And in 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's where I want to be. Like my life is Christ and literally to die is my gain. So like even dying to the flesh and dying to what the world wants me to be like, dude, this is my gain. So that's me. (laughs) Yeah, being a sellout is uh, biblical. It says that you sell everything to buy the pearl of great price. So what Jesus is the pearl of great price, and so what that parable tells us, there's only one thing that has value, and that's Jesus. Everything else fades. Everything else um, is temporary, but Jesus is of eternal value. This morning we got Phil Goodwin. Sharing the word with us this morning. Come on up, Phil. I gave him a, I gave him the old handshake. Psych. Hey, bring it in here. No, we're going to hug. Okay. Um, but Phil's, I love listening to Phil's teaching. He's a gifted teacher. And I'm just going to hand it over to him and let him go for here. Morning, y'all. Morning, y'all. Morning. Um, so if I, if I haven't met you, don't know you, my name is Phil Goodwin. Uh, my wife, Jessie, is over here, uh, our little boy upstairs, our little girl's coming in January. And uh, if you guys were here last week, who was here last week? Was anybody here last week? And I shared about my, uh, my grandmother who came to the Lord in the last week of her life. Well, uh, her son is here, my dad, and, and my mom's here today. So really stoked that they got to come and hang out today. Um, oh, thank you, Sam, for handling the... Uh, slides there. So um, yeah, I wanted to spend uh, a few minutes today talking about something that I've been thinking on, practicing for about the last four to six weeks. And uh, my hope in this is that you guys all leave uh, a little more free than you came in. Uh, A little more free, uh, a little more in a place of lifting God up um, in your life and in your thinking. And uh, so I'm, if you guys have, who's gone through the Awakening Core Values? I might have a little crowd participation today, so it's okay to raise your hand. It's Awakening Core Values. There's about, what are there, 10 of them or so, 10, 12. Um, so I, I was trying to think through what I might kind of call this talk, um, and I kept just coming back to this Awakening Value that we have, which is no victims. Um, and then I kind of, and I'm going to talk about the value a little bit, but uh, kind of as a subnote to that, we're going to just deal a death blow to the victim mentality this morning with a couple little phrases. Um, so no victims as the awakening value. We have, a, we have every value has like a declaration attached to it. So something that you can kind of proclaim t- to yourself, to your own, you know, speak to your spirit and, uh, and build them up. I'm a powerful person who empowers people to be powerful. And that's uh, based out of 2 Timothy 1.7. It's for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, or a sound mind. Um, and so it, it, declarations uh, are just super helpful. I'm going to give you guys a couple of those today, uh, which I hope are, um, are really easy. I'm, I'm actually clinically OCD. So I have, uh, I, what I've learned about myself is that I need, I need to be able to address things in my mind in as few words as possible. Because the more words I give my mind to play with, the more obsessed I can become over my words, uh, the, the more confused I can kind of, I can do a lot of mental jumping jacks. 
Okay, so, uh, so some of these things are, um, they're really helpful for me as someone who just needs, I need simple truths that can just cut to the chase. You know, sometimes even scripture can, it can be a little bit long. I'm trying to, you know, I need like, I need like three or four or five words. I can just quickly say something to myself. So that's kind of what I want to bring to you guys today as a few, uh, as a few of those. So the first one is, it's not about me. So what do we got? Four words. It's pretty easy to remember. It's not about me. Um, there's a lot behind this phrase, um, where, and I want to kind of go into a little bit some of the uh, just kind of scriptural backing behind this way of thinking. But at the at the end of it, we're just going to come back. It's just it's just not about me. And I ca- I can't tell you how many times every day uh, I get the opportunity to revisit this phrase. Um, you're, we'll, we'll talk about some practical things at the end. You, you may already have some things going through your head as to where you've kind of made it about you in some areas and where you kind of consistently see that in yourself. Um, so I, 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 last week, Travis uh, talked about why, you know, why do we gather together? And uh, as he was talking about it, I just, I had this one thing come to me. I was like, why? I was like, I feel like the whole talk could be summed up in, well, because it's not about us. That's why we get together. That's why there's no lone rangers. That's why we need corporate gathering and we need the love of other parts of the body. Uh, we're a part of a greater body, one body, the body, Jesus's body. So your hand, I mean, you can think about it in a very practical, logical way. Your, your hand by itself, you know, it's a part of your body, but it can't exist alone. If your hand was severed from your body, it's going to dry up, be real nasty, it'll be bones, it won't be, it have no function, no function at all. In the same way that none of us individually can make it by ourselves. We need to be part of the body. It's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus's body. It's not about us. Um, this body is not ours, it's Jesus's. So both individually and corporately, we've been bought. Uh, the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, we're going to go through, I, I got a bunch of scripture in here today, guys, I hope that's okay. Um, sometimes I don't really know the words to say, so I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to let Paul or Jesus or one of these writers uh, speak for me. So 1 Corinthians, it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're not your own individually. You're not your own corporately. We're not our own corporately. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. It's not about me. So who, if it's not about me, um, what's, what, what's not about me? Right, so it. Okay, so I want to kind of uh, set us up a little bit. It's not about me. What's not about me? Your family's not about you. Your marriage is not about you. Your work's not about you. Your friendships aren't about you. Your very life is not about you. So just to break it down in any, anything, it's just nothing, nothing's about us. And this is actually very freeing. At first you hear it, 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 almost, it almost is a little like, ah, but you kind of want to give a butt to it. But if you let it kind of soak in for a second, you'll experience the freedom behind like, it's not about me. And um, so that's part of what I hope you guys can glean from this. It's, it's so, this is so freeing. In, first, in, first, uh, or in Colossians 1, so who is it about then? I think you guys all know the answer, but we're going to get a little, little scripture to support ourselves. So he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. There's one, by him all things, oh, that's so nice. I have a little bit of a uh, sore throat action going on, so to excuse my uh, <clears throat> scratchiness. So by him all things were created. Nothing's left out in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things are held together. He's the head of the body we just talked about. He's our head. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. And preeminent is kind of a, a theological kind of word. So I just was like, hmm. You know, what exactly, what exactly is preeminent? He's, he's meant to be preeminent in everything. So what exactly? It's surpassing all others, the greatest, the leading, the foremost, the best, the finest, the chief, the outstanding, the most excellent, the most distinguished, the most supreme. It's all about him. So to sum it up, it's all about him. Okay, so we can put this, this is kind of part two of the first, uh, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus, if you need to add a little bit to it. But for me, I like just keeping it. It's not about me. We know who it's about. <clears throat> so not only 
So because it's all about him, we can, he, Jesus said that if we love him, we'll do what he says, right? We'll obey his commandments if we love him. So if it's all about him, what's the kind of mentality, the kind of mindset uh, that he calls us to have? So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This is part of what it looks like to make it not about you. Not seeking your own good, but the good of your neighbor. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, basically nobody, right? At the time, it was, there was Jews and there was everyone else. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a mystery that the Gentiles got to get in, the Greeks got to get in to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel and inherit all these promises of God. So give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Give no offense to anybody. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of Christ. Oh, my phone is not on silent. Be imitators of Christ. uh, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So I added my little, uh, basically give no offense to anybody. That's my own comment. It's not in the scripture. But in kind of rewording this, in other words, Christ didn't seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Everything he did was for the glory of God. He didn't seek his own advantage, but others' advantage, that they would believe and be saved. Offense here meaning causing someone to stumble, right? Um, leading others to sin by the way you live your life. So this is, this is what I mean when I say offense. They cause, live without causing offense to someone. Now, some people saw Jesus as an offense. That wasn't Jesus' problem, right? He was the rock of offense that people stumbled over, but it wasn't because he led them into sin. It was their own sin and their own thinking. So don't get those twisted up in your head. John 13, we have the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. A lot of you guys have heard this scripture, read it. I got kind of a, a little a piece together, some of it. But this is, I mean, this is like amazing. This is the creator of the universe, okay, who has become a man. He's taken on 12 disciples, and he's at the end of his life. He's about to be betrayed. They don't know he's about to be betrayed, except one of them. One of them knows because he's going to do it. He doesn't know he's about to be betrayed, and he does this. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel, and he wraps it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Not just, not just the act of washing feet, which is good. If you've never washed someone's feet, it is a humbling experience to be the one washing feet. It's also humbling to have someone wash your feet. Um, so it is very cool to, to actually practice the actual act of washing feet, washing feet, but more so just um, in the same way that he bent down and he served, we're called to do the same, to serve the same way, to that level of humility. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. So the one who it was all about humbled himself to the act of washing feet. Reading on, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is the master. He's the one who sends the messenger. Right? We are, we're the servants. We're the, we're the messengers. We're the ambassadors. Second Corinthians says we're ambassadors for Jesus. We're, this is, that's, that's who we are in this. So if he considers himself, considers others above himself, how much more ought we to do the same as his servants and his messengers. So if the master is the one doing this, and the one sending the message is doing this, how much more the one's, you know, sub, subservient to him. Philippians 2. Are you guys keeping up? Sorry. This is, I'm, I feel like I'm going kind of fast. If you, how am I doing, babe? Jesse's, Jesse's my, uh, you're going a little fast. Thanks, baby. Um, Philippians says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Something that um, Travis says a lot, it's, I, I love it, it's so true, it's just something about God. God never asks us to do anything he doesn't do, hasn't already done himself. So he's, he's not, uh, I, I had a coach in high school uh, for soccer who was probably the most respected coach I'd ever had in my life because he never asked us to do something that he hadn't already done or that he couldn't beat us at. So he actually gave a challenge to us one day to beat him in a mile run this is David Roper. 
he, he gave us a challenge when he was like, if anybody can beat me in the mile today, I'll buy you lunch at Subway. And in high school, you're like, I'll take some Subway. I was like, I'm going to beat him, you know. And so I, uh, I hung with him the first two laps, and then he, but the most respected coach I'd ever had because he didn't ask us to do anything that he hadn't already done. And he could beat everybody at, at all the skills, everything. I was just like, man, this, this is like, this is, it's like how Jesus is, you know. He's not going to ask us to do something that he hasn't already championed, right. He's the author and the champion of our faith. It's Hebrews. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So something to ponder. If Jesus, the creator, the one who was in the form of God, had all of the power, all of the authority, emptied all of it out to become a servant, how much more ought we to empty ourselves? How much less do we have really to empty than he did, right? How much, how much more, how much more are we to empty ourselves to become servants in the same way? Jesus actually even said in Matthew 23, 12, he said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He's the best example of that. He's been exalted to the highest place possible, imaginable, because of his humility. So the one whom everything is all about gave it all for us. It's fuel. That's fuel to be able to make it not about you, to be able to think it's not about me. And Wade set me up for this one. Uh, Philippians 1.21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For you to truly have life. And this is just totally building off. Wade, I, I love what you shared. Um, for you to truly have life, to truly live to the fullest, your life's got to be all about him. And it can't be about you. The more it's about you, the more sad you're going to be. The more you're just going to be. It's just, it doesn't end well when you make it all about yourself. Jesus says to, to find your life, you got to lose it. I mean, that's exactly, you got to throw it away in his hands if you want to find what true life is. I, I thought um, this thing, years ago, I'd been a Christian probably like a year, maybe two, three years, and I went to this leadership conference thing in North Carolina, and it was kind of at the time, it was a lot of uh, big sort of leaders in the church in America were kind of there and talking. It was about, it was about 1,000, 2,000 kind of teachers. John Piper was there. I don't know if you guys, John Piper. Um, and he, I, I was, uh, I was there with Matt Knoxel. If some of you guys might know the Knoxels. And I, I, my biggest struggle was just with doubt, like just doubts of, th- I'd kept my mind, again, OCD, man. I, they actually call it the doubting disease, which I didn't learn this till later. Uh, I was so, dis- I was discouraged for like eight years. as like, why do I struggle with doubt more than anyone that I know? And I, found out, oh, okay, so there's, this is supposedly this thing that I have is called the doubting disease. So but what it's done, it's driven me to ask questions that are kind of a little bit offensive um, to the religious spirit, but, uh, but has led to a lot of freedom and for me really like learning who God is. So one of the things I was struggling with at this conference, actually, um, and I talked to Matt about this, I was wondering, I was like, why does God want all this glory for himself? I was like, I just... You know, it just, seems, it just seems kind of prideful to me. I was like, I know that God can't be prideful. I know he can't be arrogant. But I don't understand why he wants all this glory. Why does he keep saying he's got to have all the glory? He's not going to share with anybody. What's the deal? You know, why has it got to be all about him? You know? And, uh, and I, we were sitting at this, uh, in this, you know, session. And each session was about an hour-long teaching, a little break. And John Piper was talking. And he was talking about something, I don't even remember what he was talking about, but it was totally irrelated to this. And uh, he stopped in the middle of him talking. So I'm sitting in the middle of the crowd, I'm sitting beside Matt, I'm listening to him talking, and, and John's preaching, and he goes, oh, you know what? He's like, um, some of you guys, some of you guys are wondering, why does God want all this glory? And I was sitting there, I looked at Matt, I was like, <clears throat> You know, it's like God's answering me in the crowd of 2,000 from the guy who's, you know, this huge name. And I was like, this is weird. And uh, he was like, some of you guys just wonder, why does God want all this glory? Why does he want it all for himself? And um, I was like, yeah, I, yeah, 
kind of curious. And, uh, and he said, you know, and he actually, he was like, I'm sorry, Lord, if this is, you know, this not the best way to put it. He's like, but God can't help it that he's the best thing for you. He said, it's just, it just is the way that it is. He, he's, it's not pride. It's just he can't help that he is the absolute best thing that, that exists for us. And so he is giving us the truth. If you want life, this is how you have it. I created you for this purpose. If you want to live for this purpose, that's where you're going to have life. It's not pride. It's truth. It's just, it's just how it is. Um, and that satisfied me. I was like, that? It's a good point. He can't help being, he can't help that he is the absolute best thing in the universe for us. That's awesome. I love that. <clears throat> so, 1 Corinthians says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are just, I'm just trying to deal death blows to this thing that makes us think it's all about us. You know, it's really it's heavily supported in the gospel that it's really, we really do die in him and get brand new life that's not about us at all. Every good thing we have in our lives comes from him. That's, you know, the, everything good comes down from the Father of lights. That's in James. But families, friends, jobs, homes, other possessions, you, you name it. These are all borrowed things. You know, there's like, there's this Lecrae song that says everything, uh, I can't remember how it goes, but every, basically everything's a temporary loan. Like God gives us everything as like a temporary loan. We, it, all goes, it all gets paid back to him. He gets it all back. Um, but everything we have, these are, these are all just borrowed. And he knows the best way to use them. So he's the investor. He gives out, he gives out the, the goods, and he's like, I know how to use it. Ask me how to use it. Make it all about me, not about you. So everything is his, including our own lives. It's not about us. So I'm putting it into practice. So I wanted to give a few just practical examples about this and some, some practical ways of thinking, some, some things that I've encountered uh, in my own uh, journey on the daily basis. So this is actually, this actually happened, this first one. A neighbor uh, was moving in up the street. It was like getting dark. Jesse was coming home from uh, somewhere. She drove past and saw this U-Haul truck. It's two houses up. I had just gotten a shower from being nasty, sweaty, got my shower, got my pajamas on. And uh, she walks in. She's like, I just saw the neighbor is moving in up the street. I was like, yeah? He might need some help. I was like, ah, I'm in PJs. Just got clean. I don't really want to go sweat. And, uh, but I just, like, within the last, like, week or two before that, had started to think about this. It's not about me. And it came right to my mind. I was like, it's not about you, Phil. Not about you. Just got, it doesn't matter. You got a shower. That's okay. It's not about you. Go help the man. So I went up there, and, and, and uh, it actually ended up being really cool. He was, like, pretty much done when I got up there. <clears throat> he, uh, he was like, hey, you want to have a beer? I was like, sure. So we got to just, like, hang out. Got to have a beer with him and talked about he's a Chilean guy. And anyway, it was really great. Uh, and uh, I actually ended up getting to help him move one chair in. So after all that, I really only had to move one chair. But it wasn't about me anyway. That's okay. So opportunities arise uh, to serve your wife, your kids, roommates, parents. Uh, but you feel it's not, it's not my responsibility. It's like, well, that's okay. It's, you do it anyway. It's not about you. It's okay. You're not feeling super close to God. This is kind of another angle you could take this. You're not feeling super close to God. So you bring somebody across your path to minister to, to love on, to share with them, share the gospel with them. That's okay. You don't have to be feeling anything. It's not about you. It's not, it's not, you don't, yeah. You're sitting in a worship service. You don't like the song or the way the worship's being handled. That's okay. It's not about you anyway. You don't, you're not singing for you. We actually, I don't know, somebody said it recently. Uh, we actually were talking about this specific thing. Um, the, the worship's not, we're not worshiping you, so it doesn't matter. Um, but sa same kind of thing. It's just, it's, you're not singing songs for you. It's great if you get some nice feelings. You feel really joyful in singing them. That's great. But if you don't feel it, that's okay. It's not, it's not for you. It's not about you anyway. Praying and reading the word doesn't feel like it's really driving. It's not, it's not really driving with me. not feeling it. That's okay. It's not about you. 
You're not reading the word. It's, 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 that's what, you're, you're just trying to love on God. You're trying to minister to the Lord. If you're not, just switch to where you're thinking. Just change it. It's okay. It'll really make your times with the Lord way easier if you don't come in with an expectation that I got to get something. It's not about you. It's okay. Or you could fill in the blank. I feel like I should blank because it's the right thing to do, but I, but I just I don't think my motive's right. But it is, it's the right thing, but I don't think my motive's right. That's okay. It's not about you. Do it anyway. Okay? Doesn't matter if you're feeling it. Just do it anyway. It's not about you. Number two. I only got two. Nobody owes me anything. You guys just let that soak in for a minute. It's really nice. Nobody owes me anything. Let me tell you a little story out of Matthew. It's a parable. You can close your eyes and just kind of imagine this parable if you want, because it's a lot of words on the screen. It's kind of overwhelming to look at. So just close your eyes and listen to the story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a lot of money. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave his debt, wiped clean. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, a fraction, fraction of what he just got cleared. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. His master summoned him in and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you open your eyes. That's intense. That's intense. But think about it. Nobody owes me anything. If God says we're forgiven of a debt to him, that we don't owe him anything, how much more ought I to forgive the debt and offense of someone else towards me? You know? In contrast to what culture says, we're not entitled to anything. We don't deserve any good thing. In reality, we deserve the opposite of good things, but God. So uh, Travis tells a story about a kid in his class, sub subclasses one day who said, you know, well, Mr. Gay, I think that everybody, you know, Everybody's good, is that what he said? Everybody deserves to go to heaven. And Travis was like, well, it's not that everybody deserves to go to heaven. It's that everybody deserves to go to hell. It's God and his mercy that pulls us out of that situation and, and forgives. He wipes clean the debt. So really, we're not entitled to a single thing. We don't deserve a single good thing. But God wipes it clean. Nobody owes me anything. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. Every offense, I mean, we mentioned this a little bit ago, an offense, a trespass, a wrongdoing, a crime, a sin, a misdeed, and debt, something, something owed, it's been paid for on the cross by the blood of Jesus. Even the offenses that are committed against us, they're all paid for. We've been crucified with Christ, remember? It's no longer us who live. So when wrong, we can say with him, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Another thing. So not only do we forgive people, and no, no people owe us anything, God doesn't owe us anything. Which is a, I, I, I had to even like talk to Travis about this, I was like, is this biblical? It feels weird to say, but it is. He, God has already done it all. We lost all of our privileges, all of our rights in the garden. There was nothing left. Our whole purpose was to glorify God. Sin 
We, we lost everything. He doesn't know us anything, but he sent Jesus. Not because, not because he, we were owed it, because he loved us that much. So just something to keep in mind. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes you're like, I don't have a really much of a problem with people not owing me anything, but there's the, there's the deeper thing that's like, but I feel like God owes me something. The religious spirit feels like God owes them something. I do this, God's got to do this for me, right? I, I behave this way, I do this, these good things, you know, I'm kind of trying to control God's actions, right? Well, God, God can, he's going to pay me back. He owes me because I've been doing good things. That's what Wade said. That's not, that's not going to lead you to any, any sort of life. It's not, a, it's, it's not about you. Nobody owes you anything. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So in Christ, the Father has given us all things. He didn't know us in the first place, but then he gave it to us anyway. And he, not, not, <laughs> he gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. What else is there besides life and godliness? You know, like, I, there really isn't much else. There is nothing else. Philippians, probably one of the most taken out of context verses in the scriptures. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not that you can't wear this as a sport athlete. It's good. It's good. But the context of this, this is kind of extreme. I mean, he's not playing a sport here. He's like, I've learned the secret of being starving, being full, having a lot, having nothing. So his point is this. I have everything I need in Jesus regardless of the circumstance. I think, Travis, you even mentioned the Lord's like bringing some freedom from some circumstantial things. I don't remember exactly what you said. But I thought I was like, yes. He's doing it today. I have everything I need in Jesus regardless of circumstance. This could be another declaration. This is too many words for me. I like, it. I like nobody owes me anything. But if you like a little more detail, I have everything I need in Jesus regardless of circumstance. First Corinthians. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So we don't, we don't look at people according to the flesh anymore. We no longer regard people according to it or what or what or to what we can. We view them according to how Christ sees them. Forgiveness is available, and their debt has been paid. This is how we live in faith for what God's done for us. We, we get to live the same for what God's done for other people, if they'll just believe. So nobody owes me anything. Jesus has already given me everything. Simple. Nobody owes me anything, though. That's my, I like that part. It's easy to remember. Putting it into practice. You just did a bunch of things around the house. Laundry, dishes, vacuuming, etc. Your spouse or your roommate, they don't know you anything. Just because you did all that doesn't mean uh, they then have to go outside and do stuff in the yard. Or that you, you feel it, you got stuff coming to your mind right now. They're like, I know I did the dishes today. I'm, I know my roommate's going to be vacuuming this afternoon. It's going to be a problem. Like, they don't know you anything. Nothing. You let that person in front of you in traffic... But they didn't, they didn't give you the thank you wave. You know what I'm talking about? That's okay. They don't know you a thank you wave. Yeah, they don't know you a thank you wave. It's okay. You gave that homeless guy five bucks that came up to you. But then you saw him go to the gas station and buy a beer with it, walk out drinking a beer in a brown bag. That's okay. He didn't know you anything. He didn't know you an explanation for that. Give it to the Lord. He didn't know you anything. You've been working really hard to stand out at work, but you haven't gotten a promotion. You got something your eyes set on? No worries. Your boss doesn't know you anything. It's okay. You don't work for you anyway. I had a, a friend of mine. Uh, he was kind of like a mentorish kind. He's a little older. Um, but he, he took a job. It was really, you know, he was doing tech, technical stuff, going to houses and working for a cable company. He drove one of those vans, you know, was going. And, and uh, his, he was interviewing for the job, and his boss he was sitting in his interview, and kind of like the end of the interview, the boss said, well, why, you know, why should I hire you? That's a hard question. I don't know if you guys ever had that question asked, but like, what, what, you know, what, why, why should I hire you over, you know, I'm interviewing lots of people. Why should I hire you? And he said, well, because I don't work for you. And uh, he said, well, what do you mean? He said, I'll work for Jesus. I don't work for you. So you don't have to, you don't have to worry about me. I don't work for you. 
And he got the job. His boss really liked the answer. Actually, actually, the guy interviewing was a believer, and so he like really liked the answer. And uh, this guy ended up getting, I mean, he got promoted. He got, they flew into Puerto Rico. They were like, doing, I mean, he got super blessed by this company. Really, really cool. But you, something to remember, nobody, nobody owes me anything. So let's just change the way we've been thinking. Repent. That's the simple meaning of repentance in the Greek is just, just change the way you're thinking. Stop, stop thinking one way. Do a different thing. Experience some freedom. There's like so much freedom, guys, in, this, in these two little truths. It's not about me. Nobody owes me anything. It deals like such a death blow to like the, I don't know. It's, it's more than like just a victim mentality. It's like, I just, I'm just telling, just try it and whew, you'll be able to breathe a little better. So I wanted to practice and I didn't want to just, you know, be done. Hey, enjoy. Think on this. Um, let's go ahead and like try to, try to think about it. So where are some areas you've made it all about you? You probably have had some things come to mind while I've been talking or you've been Guilty of this. We've all been guilty of this. It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because it's not about us anyway. So where are the areas that you've been making it all about you? Or what or who is offending you right now? Who do you feel like owes you something? I thought it might be good to just take a few minutes and get into some groups um, of like two, three. You can do more if you want. I actually thought originally about having people come up individually and just say it in front of everybody. I thought it would be kind of fun. Just change. I've been, doing, I've been thinking this way. I'm going to not think that way anymore. I'm thinking this way. Just have corporate accountability. But we're not going to do that. That's a little much. Jesse was like, that might be a little bit too much. I was like, okay. So we'll just get in groups two or three. You can do four, five, six if you want to. Um, but I thought it might be good to just share about a way or multiple ways that you've just seen that you've been making it about yourself or you feel like you're owed something or, uh, and how you could implement this new way of thinking into your life and your situation. Um, there's this, this scripture in Acts. It says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so this is, this is kind of my, what I pray that this time and this morning really gives you guys is a, is a time of refreshing. Repentance is like, as a gift, man. We have the opportunity to just change our mind and on a dime, we can change what we're thinking, think a different way. It can change our entire life's course. This, 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 these two phrases can be something that completely changes the course of your life. If you just, I mean, just take them. It's not about me. Nobody owes me anything. So, I think that's my last one. Yeah. So, if you guys want, or if you don't want, just do it anyway. It's not about you. <laughs> um, Getting groups of like two or three, four, five, six, whatever you want, and uh, spend a few minutes, and then I'll um, kind of uh, call you back in a minute, but go ahead, talk about how it's not about you and how nobody owes you anything.